Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Will you pray with me, Lord? Open our hearts. Open Jim's lips, Lord. May we hear from your Word and then give us uh, that beautiful transformation that happens by your word, Jesus, in your name. Amen? Good morning. Um, We're going to be beginning a new sermon series uh, today that's going to take us through to to Christmas, and it's uh, everything I need to know I learned in Sunday school. Um, I think most of us here probably grew up with the experience of going to Sunday school, and these stories kind of stick in our minds, and many times they got repeated as the years went along. And uh, so we're going to start off with some of the oldies but goodies, the classics in the Old Testament, kind of work our way to the new, and um, we're going to maybe get some fresh light on these things in the light of what we all know from the whole Bible. And so I'm going to start with, uh, with this today, show a picture of the person, uh, people I'm going to be talking about. And there's a picture, and the story is Adam and Eve. And the reason I picked this picture was I thought, you know, when Adam and Eve got old and they kind of were talking together and they're sitting in their house or whatever after this long life and they're kind of looking at each other and they're thinking back. And I think one of the things they probably thought was we blew it, you know. It could have been so good and we wrecked it. And there was regret, just real regret and the story's big, and it, there's so much in it, and i got to cover it in a day. So what I'm going to do is just uh, look at it from really two points of view and see if we can draw some things here. And so I'm going to look at Adam as the tragic hero, uh, look at the story from that point of view, and then look at God in that story as the lover. You know, when we look back on these stories, we begin to realize, after, you know, it doesn't take too long These stories really aren't about the people as much as just revealing God so that we can just see him in more fullness and understand how he acts and how he reacts and what he's doing in our own lives and appreciate that more. So we're going to learn about that through this story, which is like the first one in the whole book, right, from Genesis. We're looking at the first man who's a prototype for you and me, And we're looking at uh, the first instance of God really in action. And it's just a fascinating story. So I want to look first of all at Adam, the tragic hero. You know, I I teach English classes. I've been teaching them for years and years and years. And tragedy to me is like the highest form of literature. It's just the big stuff. And, you know, one of the very first ones ever written was one called Oedipus the King. Maybe some of you are familiar with that play. It's an outstanding play. It's just gripping and the, the guy in the place, a great man, he's the king of Thebes, and he decides, you know, he's going to, for the good of the people and the good of the country, he's going to look into this murder that was committed long ago. It's the first murder mystery, too. And people are just dragging their feet on it and going, you sure you want to do this? I don't think that's a good idea. People who have information don't want to give it. Uh, it's just a lot of, like, don't go here, don't go there, but he's going to press on. And it ends up destroying him and just wreaking havoc on the town as well. But he was a person of greatness, just like Adam. The tragic hero is always a person of greatness. And when we look at Adam, 
uh, as he's described in the scriptures, we first of all see in verse 27, and this is after God has created this whole world. It's a beautiful place. He's got the whole thing set. And then it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them in his own image. So Adam was like, had a lot of characteristics that were just like God's. He was like unique among creation. He's like this rational being who can think things through. He can make decisions. He can be decisive. And because he can do things like that, he can love. I mean, this guy's got like tremendous potential. And God uh, says, he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea. God says, you know what? I'm going to make you not king of Thebes. You're going to be the prince of the world. So God says, I'm going to delegate authority over the whole planet to human beings. It's your planet, your world. Welcome to it. It's really going to be in your hands. Wow. Talk about greatness. You know, a tragic hero is somebody who's bigger than us ordinary people, but we can kind of see ourselves in that, just in the responsibilities and the places where we have dominion as well. And it also says that he was a shows us he's a social man. So God realized pretty soon he's going, you know, it's not good for this guy to be alone. He needs, he needs socialization with regular people. You know, it's something that we realize in the school business. You know, those that back uh, when the pandemic started, when we were like virtual, we had this bogus education online. Just horrible, horrible for teaching, horrible for the kids. Man, it wasn't good at all. And God's going like, we, it's not going to be, this guy can't handle virtual. It's going to have to be in person, you know. We've got to find somebody for him. And then he brings the animals to the man to see if they're going to be like a good companion, and they fall short. But you know what it says here? It says, the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. Do you understand this guy had a vocabulary that was huge? He's a brilliant guy. I can't even imagine naming like 10 birds. And he's like naming all this stuff. This guy was like a genius, you know? My wife says this. She says, you know, Adam, if we could see him, we would realize he was the smartest man who ever lived. And Eve, the smartest woman who ever lived. And he was the best-looking guy, and he was the strongest guy. You know, we've been fed this baloney for so many years that like, you know, human beings started out as like primitive, like hairy animal type things that kind of wandered around, couldn't find their way out of a cave and stuff like this. And they have evolved until we've, we have come to the point where us in our awesomeness in 2021, you know, the, the crown, the apex of human development. I think that's totally a lie, you know, a fantasy we've lived by in our arrogance because we want to think we're the best, you know. Actually, we've devolved. We started great and we've deteriorated since that time, and in some measure due to things that happened very soon after this. Adam was great, but he was also innocent. And uh, it says, the Lord God placed a man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. He was given job responsibilities. That's why we, you know, deep down in our hearts, we chafe at work, but we love to work. We like doing things that are industrious, you know. But it says, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Adam was innocent. He was an innocent guy. 
And I think if we met him, we would go like, wow, he's, he's such a sweet guy. But he's not, he's not clued into some of the stuff that we are, you know? He didn't have any, he didn't have street wiseness, you know what I'm saying? He was a kind of guy that just didn't have, he had, a, had that innocence, that freshness, that earnestness. It, we would have, I think he was just a cheerful guy, too. He's probably just enjoying his, himself immensely. Think of all the stuff that you know that you wish you didn't. You know, all that the, the suffering that maybe you've seen in your life, the corruption, the perversion, all the disgusting things that you've learned as time has gone, and the weight that that just presses on our souls and the anxiety and tension that that causes. Adam was like, he was just different than that, you know? He had that kind of, he was never sarcastic. He was never ironic. He was just a straight-shooting, pure-in-heart guy, a sweet guy. You know, if Adam had had a childhood and, you know, he, he was born full-grown, right? I mean, he was created full-grown. I think he would have looked like my grandson right there on the right when he was four years old. He doesn't look that way anymore. He's still a, a nice kid, but he now has a little bit of more, he knows more things that he probably shouldn't know, especially since he got that iPhone a couple years ago, you know? And here he is, four years old, the first time he'd ever seen fireworks. And he's looking up at that, and I look at him, and you can see the awe in his eye, you know, where he's going, wow. You know, he hasn't learned to be cool, where he's going, oh yeah, fireworks, whatever, you know. Let me look at my phone again, or something like that. He's, he's got that freshness, and that's what, that's what Adam had. There's Eve there looking at him going, whoa. Okay, and then God said, um, he, you know, talked about um, the man here, and what's interesting is that up to this point, when God created everything, every single day, he said he looked at it, and it was good. And now that he's got the man there, and the, and the woman, and it says, then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good, very good. It was like, wow. The crown of creation right here. Here's the man. Okay, he was a great man. But a tragic hero is not only a person of greatness, but he's somebody who falls short through some error. And so it, it says here, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of, uh, from any of the trees in the garden? Now, in Revelation, we learn that this is probably Satan right here in, inhabiting this serpent right here. What's interesting is Adam doesn't react. Like, I would react to this. I'd go like, whoa, you can talk. You're an animal, right? C.S. Lewis thinks that possibly in the garden, animals were able to communicate, you know, to a certain extent. They could talk. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I kind of wonder about that, you know, in the, the new heavens and the new earth when it talks about heaven, and the animals that are there, you kind of wonder, are they going to resume speaking? And really, what would they have to say, right? But anyway, here, he's questioning what God said. And in verse 2, it says, Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And then the serpent replies to the woman, and I can, can you hear the sarcasm in his voice? He's going, you won't die. Like, this is the dumbest thing you've, I've ever heard. He goes like, 
God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. He's going, you know what? You've been sheltered so far. You're living in this little pre-Christian bubble, you know? You've got to get out a little bit, Eve and Adam. And he goes like, you know, God's keeping you from really fulfilling your destiny, from achieving your full potential, from pursuing your dreams. You're getting ripped off right here. And it says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And what we're seeing here in this tragic hero, we're seeing really what the primal sin is, right? It's the sin that you and I have committed over and over again. Just so hard for us sometimes to trust God, isn't it? We just don't trust God, and that's at the root of all the wrong that we have done. You know, and so God goes, hey, I want you to treat your enemies well. We're going, yeah, but, but God. And he's going, like, look at, I want, you to, I want you to confine sex to your, a married relationship. We're going, yeah, but God. And he's going, like, I want you to be generous, and I want you to, to give money to people who are, yeah, but, but God. He's saying, you know, wives, submit to your, but God, husbands, sacrifice what your desires are for your wife. We're going, yeah, but we find it so hard to trust God, and so we go down that same road that Adam went. And it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Isn't this pathetic? You know, they're going like, that's the payoff? That's it? Yikes. And so they take some shabby means to try to remedy the situation a little bit, maybe restore what they've lost right here. Um, you know, this reminded me of a news story that I read. It's not a perfect analogy, but this guy here is named Lee Sanderlin. He's a writer for a local newspaper in Brandon, Mississippi, and he happens to be in a fantasy football league, and he finished last, and in that league, the penalty for finishing last was you have to spend 24 consecutive hours in the Waffle House in, um, in Brandon, Missouri, but you get one hour off for each waffle that you eat. And these waffles are huge, you know? So the first hour, he scarfs down four of these, and he's going, oh, he's going, just somebody send me to the sun, he tweets out. He's so, like, disgusted by this whole thing. Now he's got four hours off of the 24-hour penalty. So he manages through the next hours to manage to get down five more cuts it to 15 and spent 15 hours in the Waffle House. And he tweets out after he gets out. He goes, full of waffles, but devoid of life. <laughs> and I think that's kind of like the way we feel after we distrust God, don't we? Full of booze, but devoid of life. Full of power, but devoid of life. Full of this pleasure that I was seeking, but devoid of life. It disappoints, it lets us down, and that's how... Adam felt, and that's how Eve felt at this time. It was like, oh, man, we blew it. And, you know, it what didn't stop right there. The, the tragic hero is a person of greatness who falls short through some error and brings about disaster. And, you know, what, what happened here was God then started, he told what the consequences were. And he talked to the serpent, and he talked to the woman. And I just want to show you what he said to the man. And he said, 
Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. He's going, you've brought destruction into the whole world. All your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It'll grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, uh, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. He's going, you know what? Death has entered the situation because of this. You know what's interesting? When you get to the New Testament and Jesus talks about Satan, he calls Satan the prince of this world. And I think what happened here was Satan exploited this situation to grab the prince, princehood, or whatever you want to call it, from Adam. Up to this point, he had been reigning over the earth, and now Satan grabbed it. He usurped it from him. He gave Satan a platform to really wield the disaster and destruction and evil and corruption that he has wielded. And the whole world suffered as a result, and Adam's life became tough became the same kind of struggle that you and I have where we're dealing with Newton's second law of thermodynamics here, right? Everything just deteriorates and things take longer than they should and things break down and they rust and, and it's just like there's so much death and it's so frustrating. You know, uh, I was reading this book called Dopamine Nation. It's just a, it's a great book and this woman is a, an expert in, you know, she's a psychologist lectures at Stanford University. She's renowned, and she's done a lot of research into pleasure, the pleasure-seeking we do and how that actually leads to pain and how that can be dealt with. And uh, she starts off really by talking to a guy named Jacob. He came from Eastern Europe and then had moved to Germany and then eventually came to the U.S. And I'm quoting him just the way he said he, he talked to um, Anna Lemke about his situation. He's a sex addict. And he said, so my wife, this is at the end of the line, after 40 years of being sexually addicted. So my wife, she leave me. She moved to our house in Seattle, and now I am alone. It never as good as I imagined. The reality, always less. I tell myself, never again, but, and he talks some more about what he's doing. I want to stop. I want to. I don't want to die an addict. And I read those lines, and those just stuck in my mind. I thought, it's so sad, so sad, you know? Just like the way his life has just deteriorated, and he's going, I don't want to die this way. I don't want to die this way. And I just see Adam and Eve in that thing, starting that thing off. And I think that's why, at the end of their lives, they probably felt some real regret. Now, the story would be a real bummer, I think, if that's the way we viewed it. But as, you, as I said at the top here, I think... When we read these stories in the Bible, we begin to realize they're really all about God. And what we got here is like, we, we get a glimpse of God here that is really going, is foreshadowing the way he is and what he's going to do all the way through the Old Testament and the New. And one of the big myths that we've, we've been taught and that we quickly disabuse ourselves of once we actually read the Bible is some people go like, you know, the God of the Old Testament was mean and he's always angry, and he's, you know, all this kind of stuff like this, and the God of the New Testament is so nice. It's almost like God's some crabby guy, and then he finally had a drink before the New Testament, and he kind of like, you know, mellowed out a little bit. That's such a myth. And we see right away here that we got God's love just shines through this whole story. And you can see it as you go through the whole Old Testament, 
in living color, and you see it again, and you see it big time in the new. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love, and we can see what love is really like as we go through the story. And the first thing I want to mention here that God does is he makes himself vulnerable. Vulnerability, making yourself vulnerable, what a huge thing when you actually love somebody. And so we go back here to the beginning, and it talks about how he made all these wild animals and livestock and small animals, and he saw that it was good. And then it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea. And I want to I look at that picture, and I see the circle that I put around Adam right there, and I'm thinking, here God had this creation. It's, it's all just like sweet and pristine. The animals are all behaving themselves at this time. There's, you know, they aren't even like going after each other, and the plants are all good. You've got this perfect utopian thing. And then God says, you know what? I need, a, I need a man in here. I need somebody that's like me. And I'm going, are you sure? Do you really want to go down that road, God, and give this guy authority here? I mean, he's going to be able to make decisions and be deci- he can. He's a guy who can say yes, but he can also say no. And God's going, yeah, but he'll be able to love because to love you got to be able to choose, right? And I'm love, and I want, I want this kind of fellowship between us here. And I'm going, yeah, God, I understand that. And I, I understand it because I played in sandboxes when I was a kid. You know, we had this big sandbox. I tried to duplicate it for my kids, too. But we had, like, you know how you can get this uh, sandbox sand that's all, like, sweet and nice, and it's all, like, pure, but it doesn't bond together. It's germophobic uh, sandbox stuff. We had the dirty sand when I was a kid that packed together nicely. You could build all the stuff. It was great. I got, did the same thing for my kids. And we, we had, back in the day, we had like little army men. Did any of you old enough to remember that? Little plastic ones, right? They were also cool for like melting under a magnifying glass, right? And cutting off their heads and stuff. But, you know, just kind of messing with them. And I remember these things, we'd set up these scenarios with the trucks, and we'd make roads, and then we'd have these little army men doing stuff. And I remember thinking, maybe you did too, you'd go like, you know, it's kind of boring. What if these guys would come alive, and they would actually do stuff, and I wouldn't be programming it? Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, you could go out there, what, what, like, but then I kind of realized, I'm going, wait a minute, what if they go like, why should we hang around here? This is like a stupid sandbox, <laughs> and they leave. Or they, like, rebel. They'd hate me, you know? And they're army men, right? They got little guns. I'm going, what's this pinging on my legs, right? So I'm going, like, maybe this wouldn't be such a great idea. But I understand where God's coming from here. He wants to have a real world, right, that's got some, you know, risk involved, you know? But he's making himself vulnerable at the same time. I, th- I, th- I couldn't help but think of this story that I saw in the news about these students at... Um, Cambridge University this fall. They went to this party, and this guy brought a blowtorch. You know, and I was thinking, what would, what would you know, imagine a, you as a parent, and you go like, what do you want for Christmas? And your kid goes, a blowtorch. That would be so awesome, you know? It just kind of like they had in World War I. We can just shoot out this flame, and you're going like, you're 10 years old. I don't know if that's such a good idea, you know? And he's going, yeah, but Dad, if the 
you know, like let's say the charcoal won't light, you know, or trying to grill. I could really help you out there, you know. How about great-grandma who's hitting her 107th birthday and we can't get all those candles lit? I'll be there for you, Dad, I promise, you know. And you're going like, yeah, but that's more responsibility. I mean, I want you to be independent and grow to be strong like that, but that's maybe taking a risk, and I think that's what God kind of did. But love does that kind of stuff, right? It just, not that, but I mean, it just, it makes itself vulnerable. It's what marriage is about, isn't it? I mean, you're making your bank account available to somebody, you're sleeping in the same bed with them at night and just falling asleep and they're still awake and who knows what could happen. You know, all this kind of stuff, it's like, man, uh, and God's taking that risk. And not only does he make himself vulnerable, but he's also invested in them. And you can see this in, like, he invests in the beloved and you can see this in verse 18 He's like, whoa, that guy's lonely. I gotta, I gotta do something about that. I care about that. And he's gotta make somebody who's just right for them, right? He cares about the, their needs and he finds the perfect person who can partner with Adam. And he also is like trying to protect them. That's what that tree, you know, protecting them from that knowledge of good and evil is all about. He doesn't want them to get hurt unnecessarily here. So he's He's got a protection thing. And they just don't understand that. You know, and we don't sometimes understand that either, that every commandment of God is a protection that springs from his love. It springs from his love. He's got our best interest at heart. That's God the lover just being played out here already. And he humbles himself for the beloved. This is, this is a part of the creation story that really just really uh, blows me away. I think about how God created the, um, you know, the animals and how he created the stars and how he created the plants. He was detached from it, right? And he's going, let there be. He speaks these things into existence. But when it came to the man, what did he do? I think he got down on his hands and knees and he formed the man from the dust of the ground. And this is like the first time in the Bible that his actual name, the Lord, Yahweh is there. It's personal, right? Very personalized. But he's humbling himself. He's the great God of the universe, and now he comes as a human being, and he makes this guy. And it says he breathes into his nostrils. And so he's like lowering himself because he's, he's involved with this person on a personal level. And then later on, even better, he comes down to our level to be with us. It says when the cool evening breezes were blowing... The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. You know, sometimes we go like, well, it's kind of poetic. God was like with him. No, they hear him walking. They can actually hear footsteps. And I think what God did was he just appeared in a, a human form. And he would come down there and they would walk and they would talk and they would hang out. It's like God goes, like, yeah, I want to be with these people. I want to hear what they have to say. He still feels that way, by the way. He's going, and I, um, I want them to listen to what I got to say, and we're going to share and just have, have personal time together. But he, he's lowering himself from the mighty God of the universe, and he's coming down here to be in their form, to be with them. And not only does he make himself vulnerable and invest in the beloved and humble himself, but he even pursues the beloved. And this is... This is a part that gives me the most hope from this whole story. 
Because what happens is when, after they had sinned, they hid from him. You know, they go like, yeah, I better not be around him. I, I just feel like we've gone too far. And it says, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God pursued them. God pursued them, even in their hiding from him. And that's God's love for us today, too. I read this really cool book a couple weeks ago called Committed by Adam Stern. This guy uh, is kind of reflecting back to when he did his three-year residency uh, uh, to train as a uh, psychiatrist. So he's at this, like, big hospital with a big psych ward and stuff, and he's trying to, like, get used to ministering to patients. And he, he runs into this woman. He's spending time with this woman who's got an eating disorder. And it's very frustrating. And he feels like she just gets worse and worse the more time he spends with her. And he goes to his mentor, Adam Stern does, and he goes, I'm trying to help this woman who's got an eating disorder, and I'm failing, and maybe this isn't the business I'm cut out for. And the mentor says two things. He says, you got to know two things. And he said, the first thing is, he says, you need to know that eating disorders are the one thing that really bring, makes all of us humble. It is so difficult. We all fail at this. But he says, the second thing you got to learn is the, the psychiatrist's joke. He says, you want to hear it? And Stern goes, yeah. And he says, well, here it is. How many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? And he goes, you want to hear? And Stern doesn't say anything. He goes, you want to hear the answer? And he goes, sure. He says, here's the answer. Only one, but the light bulb has to want to be changed, and it takes a very long time. Isn't that true? I mean, for people to really, like, make improvements in their life, they got to want it. But here's the problem. We don't a lot of times want to, right? I mean, there's so many times our lives are going down the tubes, and we know why they're going down the tubes, but we feel so comfortable with the stuff we're doing that we know is so self-destructive. There's something in our hearts that goes like, I'd rather reign in hell than just be some kind of servant in heaven. You know, the old Satan attitude. We got that strong will. And if we didn't have a God who loved us enough to pursue us, we would be lost. We're the light bulb that doesn't want to be changed. And God's going, you know, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to pursue you. Yeah, you're hiding from me, Adam and Eve, but I'm going after you. I'm going after you, and I'm going to be relentless about that. And then finally, God refuses to abandon those who have grieved him. The last thing we see of interaction between God and Adam and Eve is this. It's in Genesis 3 at the end of the chapter. And it says, The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife and sent them from the garden to work the ground from which Adam had been taken. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me that here are these people. Like if I was God in this situation, I'd be tempted to go like, okay, you got your like leaves of plants that you're trying to like deal with your situation. I hope that teaches you a lesson goodbye. But God's going, you know what? You look so cold. And those things are going to deteriorate. And let me help you. Let me work with you along the way. Yeah, you've grieved me but I still care about you. And this is God in our lives too. I mean, let's be all be honest. We've grieved God again and again and again, but God has not abandoned us. You may feel this morning, you're going like, yeah, but things are going so, so poorly here. And God's going, hey, 
trust me on this. Trust me, I have not abandoned you. I'm working even through these circumstances as well. Now, as I've been going through this, like, kind of description of God's love just being revealed in the story of that first man and first woman, I think it, you've probably picked up on how this uh, re- revelation of his love came to its fruition centuries later in the fullness of time when God made an appearance for 33 years in Jesus Christ. And you think about it here, you know, he made himself vulnerable. He invested in the beloved. He humbled himself all the way to death, even death on a cross. He pursued the beloved through that, and he's still pursuing you and me today. The very fact that you're in at Community of Hope this morning, the very fact that I'm here getting a chance to worship the Lord and hear those, those true words from the praises and worship that were played and lift up prayers and even just hear from the very word of God and hear about God's character. That's irrefutable evidence that God is pursuing us even unto today here on October 31st, 2021. And he has never abandoned those who had grieved him. He hasn't abandoned us and he won't. So let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord, I just want to thank you that in our own blowing it situations at times when we haven't been heroic, but we've been tragic and brought problems into our own lives and even into the lives of people around us and made this world a, a worse place some days and instead of a better one. That, Lord, you have, have not forsaken us. You have not abandoned us. Your love has just been pursuing us. And I want to thank you, Lord, for just the plan that you had that was... Uh, that was kind of hinted at in the story and then fully revealed uh, in Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us into, your, into this knowledge and into a family of believers and a family that's going to be back in a recreated Garden of Eden someday. And we just bless you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.